Well, I encourage you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 20 this morning. That perfect 10 we find in Exodus 20. God has given us what we need the most uh, in His Word, His living Word, and these stipulations on how to keep covenant with our Creator God, our Deliverer. A law that's not abolished, we know, with the coming of the Lord Jesus, but it's fulfilled in Him. So now we have an even deeper and richer understanding of the law that God has given. A deeper desire of heart to love and to obey out of gratitude uh, to our God. So the Lord has said we are to have no other gods beside Him, before Him. We're not to make any representation of Him that's used in worship, nothing can compare to our Creator. How can we contain Him in all of His majesty and glory? Uh, Only in Jesus is He fully represented, fully known. Um, So we must use uh, caution when um, recreations and then the purposes behind uh, the images as we've looked at. Uh, So the first two words, and continuing in in this word, the third word and the fourth, uh, we'll look at next week, is going to focus on the relationship that we have with the Lord. Um, Keeps us in in awe and reverence of who God is and how we are to approach Him. Um, So we're going to read beginning with the preamble again, continuing through verse 7 this morning. Hear now the word of our God. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. for The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is God's word to his people, then and to us now. Let's pray together. Lord God, You speak to us as a father speaks to his children in a way that can be understood and applied. Lord, we confess we don't often understand and apply well Your Word to us. And so we need Your help. Holy Spirit, fill us and illumine our hearts in these moments to this good Word that You've given to us. You said that Your Word will accomplish all that You purpose. And so we ask that You'd feed us. Feed us faithfully through these words, through the table that You've set before us. We look to You and lean upon You to guide our understanding. Lord, speak faithfully through Your servant receptive now as we submit ourselves and come under the authority of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. R-rated. Restricted. You could probably apply that term to any number of things in our time nowadays. We're most used to hearing that when applied to the movie screen or you're looking on the back of a DVD 
And that is the, the rating that the Motion Picture Association of America attaches to films that have some inappropriate or unhealthy content in them that should probably not be heard or seen, but they're there. And so they said, here's a warning, and in our culture we say it's age 17 that you need to be before going into a theater and watching one of these R-rated films. Now if we think for a moment that any age over 17 is immune from, um, from what is uh, being heard or said and the dangers of that, then we're in bigger trouble. Um, but the R rating comes for specific reasons, right? Um, and one of the most common is for language. Um, see, it, see it printed right there. Uh, they've determined that there is language in this film that some may find offensive, uh, or language that's used just you know, intentionally, um, without thought, that is, is vulgar, probably not used in everyday conversation. And we, we know this type of profanity because we've used it, or we know those who have used it um, on occasion. Uh, so if you sit down in front of an R-rated film, either have the volume turned down a little bit, or... Make sure you don't have anything you can throw around you, right? Because you should be, you will be repulsed, uncomfortable by you know, frivolous profanity or disregard for the name of God. Now, not all profanity and cursing uses God's name, which doesn't excuse it, but much of it will. Much of it will be said without a second thought. Um, so God's name is, is misused just dragged around outside the church, inside the church, in ways that we don't often think about as much. Uh, but God knows our hearts. He knows our wandering. He's jealous for His name. and So we need uh, this Word. So we're going to ask ourselves those three questions again. Remember what those are? What does this command tell us about ourselves? How do we see this command fulfilled in the Lord Jesus? And how do we obey this as His people now? But you shall not misuse the name of the Lord or take His name in vain. So the word here means to lift up or carry the name of God. We're not to lift up God's name with irreverence or use His name in vain. Vainness is lifting up God's name with no good purpose. It's an emptiness of speech. So it's void of any, any real thought, any real intention. So... Profanity would certainly fit this vainness of speech, but there are other ways in which we flippantly or with little thought uh, use God's name. What do you say to the person next to you who sneezes? You know, I've said it before, right? But do we really, are we really concerned with blessing the person who has just sneezed when we say, God bless you? Is that our real intention? And they'll usually respond with, you know, thank you, but it's, it's pretty empty. It's just sort of that, that culturally accepted way of responding when someone sneezes. So we, we can apply this, this, this thinking, this emptiness, to swearing that uses the name of God. You know, swearing, an appeal to a higher authority without reverence or awe of the one that's actually being named. Claiming the name, claiming allegiance to God or to Jesus or Christ or Lord when there's absolutely no intention of worship or submission to Him. 
I mean, it really is a modern-day blasphemy, if we think of it this way. It's becoming cliche, even considered cool, you know, to throw out a, a God or a Christ or a Jesus when either we don't know what else to say or we want to sort of add some weight to our words. To our words. We'll use the Lord's name. Uh, but not as an expression of faith. Um, we should understand how natural this is for those who really have turned their back on God and see no need to do business with Him. They'll naturally use His name idly or frivolously, which actually is a testament to the existence of God, that we cannot escape Him or live without Him, but it's also a symptom. I think most swearing today, using that name to add weight to our words or just in plain profanity, it's not intended to be an outright demonstration of unbelief and obedience to God, or defiance of God, um, but it's a symptom of such things. And so this, this symptom should be diminishing. It gets less and less for those who have been transformed by the love of God, been given new life in Christ. So with this new life comes a desire to exalt and revere the name of God. It's a product of that sanctifying power of God in our lives. We want to honor Him. We want to exalt the name. Take it seriously. So when that's true, we make every effort to avoid anything, including our speech, that would bring discredit to God's name. Now, I've mentioned the name of God over and over and over again. But what name are we talking about? What's in a name? I think the best way to think about this is for me to simply name a few. Uh, Nathaniel, Diane, Amanda, Madison, Philip. Um, now when I said those names, you knew exactly who I was talking about. There may be other Dianes and Amandas and Nathaniels and Philips in this world, right? But you know exactly who I was talking about. These ones are unique in this room. You either you had a picture of them in your mind or a conversation you've had or an experience, something they've said or done. Um, a person's being or character is attached to their name. This holds true for the Creator God. We cannot disconnect or disassociate God's name from His person, His character. He's present in His name. And His works reveal uh, more of that name. So what name here? Yahweh, the covenant name of God. The God of Moses, the great I Am, the Deliverer. It's interesting in verse 7 how this command switches from the first person, that I, me language, and that's what we read in the first two commands, to the third person. So it doesn't say, you shall not take my name in, in vain, but you shall not take the name of Yahweh, your God, in vain. The focus is on God's covenant name, a name to be honored and revealed, not just by the, the people of Israel, by all people. The Lord God is holy. He protects the holiness of His name. So do we as God's people, revere His name in this way? Or his name, is, is this name so common to what it is we read? Is it so common to our ears 
that we're no longer moved by it. It doesn't affect us in any way. And what a grievous place to be if we are unimpressed by the name of Yahweh. You remember how Pharaoh responded? Exodus chapter 5. Let me read those verses again. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, there's the covenant name, The God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Yikes. That should make our hair stand on end. To be unimpressed unmoved, unconcerned by the name of the Lord. Uh, it's not going to go well for Pharaoh. And this, this law says as much right here in verse 7. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who empties his name. There's punishment, certain punishment that goes along with the irreverent, inconsiderate use of God's name. Brothers and sisters, this, if this doesn't stir us to fall on our knees in gratitude for the atoning work of Christ, then check your pulse. The Lord Jesus has taken our punishment for every time we fall into this snare. Shows us just how, how big, how exhaustive God's atoning work is in covering our sin. Every slip of the tongue, every action that discredits the name has been atoned for once and for all. So more, more on that response in a few minutes. But we also need this command because of our tendency to make faulty promises, fake promises. You know, the, the warning here has to do largely with taking false oaths in God's name, ma- making promises that we don't intend to keep, or making promises in God's name that we have every intention of keeping, but we don't. The topic of, of O's and making O's, it's given a lot of attention in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 10, uh, Leviticus 19, which we talked about um, this morning in Sunday school. You should not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Here in Numbers 30, opens this way. This is what the Lord has commanded. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So can that be said of us? We live in a world where promises are made and they're abandoned as soon as they're inconvenient. Or those promises actually are a threat to the real God that we worship. Taking oaths, making vows, a serious business. Unless we're able, determined to fulfill those vows... The power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be cautious in binding ourselves to a promise that invokes the name of God. Before the Thunderbirds flew last uh, Saturday, they will often do this uh, special ceremony before the jets taxi out, and there are many who had volunteered to enlist. And so, I think there's over 50 of them in this particular case, and so they recite the oath of enlistment. Um, and the last four words of this oath are, So help me God. And every time I hear this repeated, uh, with gusto typically, I wonder, do they know what they're saying? Um, you know, who, are, who or what concept do they have in their mind when they say, so help me God? 
I mean, it adds a little weight. It's culturally acceptable still. But I wonder if there's more vainness in use of his name than reverence and sincerity. So consequently, if you have taken that oath or you think you may take that oath in the future, know the God that you are addressing. The one that you give allegiance to and seek his help in fulfilling that oath. Why we need this command? It just exposes so much in our hearts. So how does Jesus ramp up this word? How does he fulfill uh, this command? Uh, We've mentioned briefly that the punishment, the guilt Jesus bears on our behalf as we break the covenant here, but Jesus reveals the name of God in a unique way. Uh, My name is Brad. Most of you, not all of you, know my name is Brad. Um, My kids know my name is Brad, but they don't address me as Brad. They address me as dad or daddy. We're moving from daddy to dad. It's kind of hard sometimes, but we are. Um, but they have, they have a closer, more personal relationship with me that allows them to address me that way. You know, I'm, I'm part of them. They're a part of me. So they can address me uniquely in that way. In the New Testament, Jesus, the divine Son of God, addresses him as daddy, father. He knows the father intimately, and that, that enables us to call on Him in the same way. So Paul shares this in Romans 8, Galatians 4. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So Jesus' Father is our Father. We have all the rights of adopted sons and daughters. Just consider how amazing that is. And how this just... It just explodes the third commandment. Um, Yahweh, the God of all creation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, the Deliverer, the Great I Am, is our Father. He's placed His name upon us. We're in Him. He in us. How can we discredit that name? You bear that name. I bear that name. You've been baptized. You are, you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The family name. The name of the Father is represented by you and by me. So the, the reputation of the name is at stake in our attitudes, in our words, in our actions. Church, may the name of the Father, the name that is holy, never be blasphemed among us. You think, do, we, do we give others reason to be unimpressed by the name of God? So in a very real sense, every covenant obligation we fail to keep is a misuse or mockery of God's great name. The reputation of our Father is damaged. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, we pray. So in one way we see Jesus expanding our understanding of God's name another way, we see Jesus as the one who bears the name. He is the name. Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus shares the, the glory, the holiness, the worth of the Father. His name is the name above every name, Paul says. Think about what this means. All of the, the attributes of Yahweh in the Old Testament, all the promises that are attributed to His name are fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is 
the Lord of hosts. Jesus is El Shaddai, God Almighty. He is that Jehovah Jireh, the provider. He is the God of Israel. He is the I Am who delivers His people. The name of God, the Son of Man, is His name. And what I have just said would be absolute blasphemy. I mean, worthy of eternal condemnation in the fire of hell, if it were not true. In Matthew 26, the high priest thought it was blasphemy. Remember, he tore his robes. What further witness do we need? What, What should we do? And they cried, kill him! And then three days later, they have an empty tomb to deal with. Jesus bears the name. He is the name. And it's in His name that the disciples bring the power of God to every situation that they face. And Acts chapter 3 is one example of this. The Apostle Peter is preaching his second big sermon. The first one comes in Acts chapter 2 and there's a lame beggar, formerly lame beggar, who's now bouncing all over the place. And then Peter gets right down to the point. He says, But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And His name, by faith in His name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this, the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So disciples heal in the power of the name. This name, the name of our elder brother, is to be revered, is to be worshipped. So what might obedience look like, at least in some ways? Start to pick up on what, what this word speaks against and encourages in us. You know, to lift high, exalt the name of our God, exalt the name of Jesus, hold His name in reverence and awe, because the name does reveal the mighty works of our God. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name, we've read this morning from the Psalms. So we need to praise Him. Praise Him, church. Praise Him for His great name. Praise Him, all peoples. God allows us to know Him and to to speak to Him by His name. It doesn't say we can't ever use His name. It's the misuse of His name. The Old Testament, calling on the name of the Lord was synonymous with worship. May, may that be so for us. Using the name of God reverently and respectfully, quick to repent when it slips across our tongue in an empty manner. You know, on top of that, if God's reputation, if His name is stamped upon us, then may we be increasingly aware of how we represent that name. Again, that goes well beyond just words that we often associate with this command. It's our attitudes, our business transactions, our use of time, our our priorities all reflect on the name. So we're to praise Him, not just here Sunday morning, among others who desire to do the same, but praise Him everywhere. And I, I realize it gets a little difficult when we're in the company of those who don't give the name of God or Jesus a second thought. I mean, it's much easier for us to be bystanders, sort of shrug this off. It was just another profanity in the group. 
But we have a higher call, a greater goal to see God worshipped among all peoples. So are we willing, do we revere the name enough to respond at the cursing of others? Wise King in Proverbs 29 says, The partner of a thief hates his own life. He hears the curse, but discloses nothing. Maybe you've heard this quote by Edmund Burke. He's an Irish philosopher. He said, The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. We're not just innocent bystanders. So my, my prayer is that we would be willing, willing to take the risk of addressing what is behind the symptom of swearing, profanity. I mean, there's a heart in need there. A heart alienated from God. Where cursing is present. There's something I've tried if I'm within earshot of profanity that uses the name of the Lord uh, in vain. Um, I'll simply say, praise His name. You know, those three words. I wish I said it more, but I don't. I typically have a, a more fear of what they're going to think of me in that particular situation than a real reverence and fear for the name of the Lord. Um, but it can be pretty effective. It immediately draws attention to what has just been said. And the person may look sort of apologetic. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry about that. Or they may look at you like you're from another planet and you've just materialized. Uh, but we're seeking the honor and, and protection and praise of God's name. Another way in which we obey this word is through our prayer life. Um, the way in which we uh, meditate on God's name. Uh, God's name reveals, like we said, it reveals His character. He's given us many different names, different aspects, shades of His character in the Scriptures. Uh, one of the books we have on the shelf at home is uh, entitled Praying the Names of God. And it's a devotional read that gives just a little bit of commentary on the name and then... Um, you know, praying using that name. So we understand God's character at a, a deeper level and take comfort and encouragement in studying His names. As He's revealed Himself in His Word. How about praying in the name? This is something we're familiar with. Something we almost do by habit. Okay, in Jesus' name, Amen, right? And that, that's the formula. And that's a very appropriate way to close our prayers. We need to be guarded against habit without thought. Okay, we pray for the sake of, of Jesus. We're owning all that Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. Um, for His glory, whether that you know, comes at the end of the prayer or the beginning of the prayer. When our prayers are offered in Jesus' name, we are acknowledging that we are united with Him. It's only His righteousness that allows us to approach the throne of God. So our prayers, beginning and end, are in the name of Jesus. Um, also be aware of how often repetitive we can be by using the name. Again, this is almost habit, natural for us, to repeat the name over and over and over again as we pray. Um, sometimes, I think we're, we're applying a little more force or sincerity if we use the name. But the Lord actually speaks against drawing you know, long, drawn-out prayers that start to empty the words particularly His name, of its um, significance. So I can't give you a number how many times you should say the name Lord or Jesus or Father in your prayers. Um, but understand, it's not more forceful or, or powerful to repeat these names for the sake of repeating them. 
as you pray. So the command instructs us to, to praise, to prayer, to be wise in our promises. We mentioned how serious God takes oaths and vows. It's easy to say, I swear, as if God is, is backing what it is I've just said. So that there's no way I'm lying, I swear. But we are not to invoke the name of God as a guarantee of our own words. In this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that if you need to make an oath or a vow to be honest and truthful, then don't go there. Don't do it. Let your word be your word. Your yes, yes. Your no, no comes out of James 5. Now, God is not forbidding vows and oaths. God Himself takes oaths for the encouragement, hope of His people. But our vows need to be measured, used sparingly. So children, you want to say those words? You know, I promise. I promise to. You bear the name of God. So it must be serious. Use those words, I promise, very carefully. If there's all an opportunity that you will break, then you know, maybe don't go there. The Spirit of God indwells us as believers, and we don't need an extra swearing or more I promises to validate our words. Our words should be trustworthy as God's Word is to us, backed by lives of obedience and holiness. So we worship, we serve a particular God. To speak His name is to acknowledge His power, His holiness. His name is great, and greatly to be praised. May we be those people who hold His name in reverence, in awe. Temporary songwriter Natalie Grant, I'll close with, with these words, a very powerful song called Your Great Name. Lost are saved to find their way at the sound of Your Great Name. All condemned feel no shame at the sound of Your Great Name. Every fear has no place at the sound of Your Great Name. The enemy, he has to leave at the sound of Your Great Name. Jesus, worthy is the Lamb that was slain for us. Son of God and man, You are high and lifted up that all the world will praise Your great name. Let's pray together. Lord God, forgive me when I have flippantly, irreverently used Your name. Lord, forgive me when I think this is just contained to the words coming out of my mouth. But in my very attitudes and actions and how I represent You, how we represent You, Lord, reflects on the name. Thank You. You've covered us in the blood of Jesus. Every stain against this command. Lord, He has obeyed fully as the One who is the name. Lord Jesus, we exalt You and we praise You today. For You are worthy as the name above all names. You have fed us through Your Word. Feed us now as we prepare to go to Your table. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.